0: You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Father's Dream, Part 3. Enjoy. So let's get back into The Father's Dream, which is a series we started a few weeks ago. The Father's Dream. God has a, uh, an unquenchable, unstoppable dream in His heart. It's the passion of His life. It's His life ambition. And what is that? You guys remember? It's to have an intimate relationship with you. That's what he wants. That's what moves him to get out of bed in the morning. Not just kidding. He doesn't go to bed. <laughs> but if he did go to bed, that's why he'd get out of bed. He never sleeps. That's what moves him to do what he's done. That's what moved him to give his son. He wants you. He's passionately in love with you. He's pursuing you. He wants you to experience him every single day. And maybe you've been in church for 20, 30 years, and maybe you're kind of just going through the motions, but it's time to, to get out of that rut. It's time to have a, a daily experience with God, Amen. to taste Him everywhere you go, to hear His voice when you're at work, when you're at the mall, when you're at the Patriots game, wherever you are, to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and to take Him, to, to be His vessel. That's what the Father's dream is. It's called eternal life. Okay, let's take a look at it in John 3 16. And we like to de religify people here at Highway Church. So uh, take your religious goggles off and your religious earbuds out. And let's let the Holy Spirit transform us through His Word. John 3 16, the Father's dream. For God so loved the world, he, was so, uh, he loved people so much that it moved him to give everything he could give, his one and only son, that whoever believes, let's say that word together, believes. It's only two syllables, very easy to say, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's remind ourselves, what does God require of a person to experience eternal life, that they believe what? In Jesus. What else does he require? What do you mean nothing? This this was news to me when I was 19, 20 years old because I was taught growing up, see, the religious mind can't handle this whoever believes in him but but what else do i have to do there's got to be more it can't be that simple believes is only two syllables believe come on so i was taught from a very young age that i had to regularly go to the church i was going to and tell the minister my sins and then he'd listen to him and he'd assess what i've just done at eight years old and then he'd give me a prescription a penance And he would tell me, okay, you've got to pray four of these prayers. You've got to pray five of those, six of those. And you have to wash the dishes for your mom for a week. So, okay. So if I wanted to be forgiven, I knew what I had to do. And that's how I was taught. But I found out later that's not true. (laughs) That we go directly to God through simple faith in Christ. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Don't let anyone add any conditions or requirements to what Jesus has said. And when I started reading the book of John at age 19, I thought, why didn't someone tell me how simple this is? Now, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Stay on that verse. You can stay right there. Well, actually, you can, to, you can go to Matthew 6, 7 if you want. We'll go back to John in a moment. Jesus said, when you pray... Don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. There I was, little heathen, eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> little heathen Joey <laughs> coming through this. <laughs> Thought I was doing good, you know. And I had him down, man. I could recite them things quick. <laughs> For they think what are what are heathen? What does that mean? People who don't know God. They don't know. They've got their own systems, their own way of trying to get to him, their own pictures of God, their own, you know, uh, uh, rituals. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. But it's not true. What, 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 what enables God to hear us? at and or Verizon? <laughs> Faith. Faith in Jesus. <laughs> not even Sprint. Faith in Jesus, yeah. So Let's go back to John 3.16 now. So we learned that eternal life, uh, when we'll go back into that, Jesus defined eternal life for us as an intimate relationship with the Father in John 17, 3. So let's go back, let's put the definition in John three 16. Let's read it with a definition of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, that's all that's required, in him, and anyone can do that, right? God's made this possible for anybody, anywhere, anytime, anyhow shall not perish, but experience an intimate relationship with God. Joined to Him, not far away from Him. joined to Him, one with Him, knowing Him personally. That's the definition of eternal life. Now I'm going to read you something. I got a, a, an article, an email that I got, and I'm going to read it to you. Because we're going to spend time today looking at the Father's dream and how simple it is. And how difficult man has made it. Before I read this article, this is from Brian Simmons, who's the author of the Passion Translation, uh, which is a newer translation of the Scriptures. Um, But before I read this, I want you to know something. I am not a Protestant. I'm not a a, a Catholic. I'm I'm a son of God. I'm a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a people that belong to him. That's who I am. So I'm not putting down one or the other. I'm not on either side. Okay, I'm just a follower of Christ. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm never going back. But I want to read this to you because October was a a big deal in, in, in the history of the world. It was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And he he wrote a little article, and this is very good. He said, it was 500 years ago, and the title of this is It it Only Takes a Spark. So be a sparky, right? It was 500 years ago, October 31st, 1517. Where were you in 1517? (laughs) What were you doing in 1517? The fires of the Protestant Reformation exploded onto the scene and began to grow throughout the world. It was an epic realignment of Christian theology. You can say that again. As believers began to, this is the key, read the Bible for themselves. Oh, imagine. And discovering that we don't come through a priest or a church to come to God. Wow. We come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine that, how powerful truth from the Word of God can be. The Protestant Reformation of the 16th century shook the world. The religious, political, and cultural upheaval that took place splintered Catholic Europe through the teachings of reformers like John Calvin and Martin Luther. But many don't realize that the spark of the Reformation was a Bible translation. It was the first translation of the Bible into English by John Wycliffe in 1382. hundred some years before the Reformation. 135 years, something like that. John Wycliffe was the most famous priest of his day. His brilliant intellect made him a leading scholar at Oxford and a chaplain to the King of England he fearlessly spoke out against the errors of the popes the organizational hierarchy of the Roman church and the corruption this is just history we're not putting anyone down we want to get to the simplicity of faith in Christ that's all we're talking about we're not not putting anyone down here we're just lifting up Jesus he fearlessly spoke out against the error when you lift up Jesus other things get lower don't they (laughs) I go, wait a minute, what was that? I don't don't need to believe that anymore. So he fearlessly spoke out against the er errors of the popes, the organizational hierarchy of the Roman church, and the corruption of the clergy in his day, 1380s, late 14th century. He criticized not only the organizational, excuse me, the organization of the medieval church, but its theology. Wow as well and argued for a return to the scriptures wow this is a big deal we don't sometimes take this for granted passion for the word of god burned in his heart he knew that if the people in england were to know the truth they would be set free from religious shackles hey welcome to highway church even the bible itself needed to be liberated For in the days of John Wycliffe, the scriptures were chained to the pulpit. No one was allowed to read it. Isn't that amazing? Read only by the educated clergy. Don't touch this. (laughs) Wycliffe reasoned that they must have the word of God in their own language. I can't imagine. Now that I've read it, I can't imagine not being able to read the Bible. I would die without it. At the very least, I'd be insane. Hallelujah. So he, he said, we must have the word of God in our own language. Under his direction, this is John Wycliffe, the Bible was translated into English for the first time. Wow. So what was the New Testament written in? Greek, Old Testament, Hebrew, right? Although the job was not completed... Uh, by his associates until 1395, 11 years after his death. Amazing. This was the era of wonderful inventions. You mind me reading? Can I just read a little more here? Perhaps the most significant of which was the printing press. This enabled the Wycliffe translation to spread. Indeed it did. Wycliffe was known as the morning star of the English Reformation. Because of the life-altering word of God that he faithfully brought into his generation. Repeatedly condemned and burned by church authorities. Copies of Wycliffe's Bible continued in use for over a century. Churches burning the Bible. How backwards can you get? (laughs) That's what religion does. It shuts you off from the life God has for you. Whew. Let's see here. Where was I? The first century. Until the printed Bible took its place. This work, this printed Bible, greatly influenced William Tyndale, who made the first printed translation of the New Testament in English. Afterwards, it was the Czech priest by the name of Jan Hus who became the torch of the Reformation. He actually sparked a war known as the Hussite War. You know why the war was fought? Because of his teaching that only faith in Jesus Christ could set men free. Are you kidding me? Nope. You know that's what wars are fought over? Don't let the news fool you. Underneath it all, there's a battle to try and keep men from being free. Through simple faith in Christ. We were at uh, the Armenian festival last night in uh, Cranston, Rhode Island. And uh, I was just sitting there talking with uh, an elderly man who was Armenian. And he was sharing the different nations. He lived in Libya and uh, Morocco. And and he talked about how difficult it was and how he was detained. Once they learned that he was a Christian, he said, you never really could turn your back because you might get stabbed in the back. Because you couldn't believe differently where he lived. You couldn't, you weren't, if you put your faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, you were an infidel. This is what Satan does. He's trying to shut down freedom, right? He's trying to shut down freedom, but we're not going to let him do it, right? We're going to preach Jesus, nothing else. He took the truth of God's undiluted word and shook the world. This is Jan Hus. Hus was eventually burned at the stake as a heretic for daring to believe that everyone should read the Bible (laughs) and all that it contained, even when it goes against the doctrines of men. Welcome to Highway Church. (laughs) 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 Woo! About a hundred years after the death of Hus came the theologian and reformer Martin Luther. Many view him as the, as the father of the Reformation when, in fact, he simply took the fire lit by Wycliffe, f- fueled by Hus until it became a bonfire that's still burning today. How we need a more complete and glorious Reformation today in the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. What began with the Bible translation ended up with a fire that swept over the planet. May it be that our God, the God of endless glory, will once again rekindle in our hearts the fire of reformation. Could it be that another reformation is taking place in our generation? Yes, when we're a part of that. Moving us closer to the heart of God and the meaning of His words. Moving us closer to the heart of God and the meaning of His words. That's my calling. Welcome to Highway Church. To bring people into the meaning of His words. What He's really done for us through Christ. Our generation needs to come to the Father. Our loving King and find His touch of tender love. And wash in the fountain of His mercy. May every bondage be broken. Until we look at Jesus, until we look like Jesus, live like Jesus, and love like Jesus. And may the fear that grips many in the nations today be cast out of our hearts by perfect love. Yes, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. May your Bible reading light that fire within until the world around us is changed. I love that. That's my life's heart right there. So that's what we're doing, guys. We're looking at the Father's dream. We're getting inside of the heart of God through His Word and by His Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's read verse 17 of John 3. Verse 17, if you guys put that up there. For God did not, be amplified. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. But that the world might find, the Greek word here is sozo, amplified says salvation, and be made safe and sound through him. So Jesus teaches us that through a relationship with the Father, through simple faith in him, that we are made safe and sound. That faith in Christ, an intimate relationship with God, brings safety and soundness to our bodies, to our spirits, and to our souls. This is something that's been hid from the multitudes through man's religion. We're going to keep moving. Stay with me. We saw in this series the Father's dream being born back in Genesis, and we began to look at it being broken, and we're going to start to look at it today being restored. So in Genesis 1.1, God created a perfect heaven and a perfect earth, but something happened between verse 1 and verse 2. Satan and some of the angels rebelled against God and were cast down to the earth, and they destroyed the place. By verse 2, we see the earth was in a a, a place of chaos and destruction. And in verse 3, God restores the earth. He speaks forth His word directly into the earth, and light fills the earth. There were no sun or stars at that point, but His presence filled the earth. And then God uh, did something amazing On day six, he made beings that were just like him. That's you and me, men and women. And he put them in the earth, and he gave them sovereignty over the earth. This is a simple Bible. I know uh, a lot of people are, are shocked when they hear this, but it's the truth. God gave man sovereignty over the earth. And we see in this, we saw that Satan was still in the earth, but he was under the authority of man. He could do nothing. Unless man gave him permission. Okay? So let's move. So so man's in the earth. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. God's given them sovereignty over the earth, and he gives them an instruction to subdue it. To keep Satan from destroying it again. Okay? So Adam and Eve, man, we are God's first responders in the earth. So it was, listen closely, this might hurt a little bit, but it's true anyway. It was man's responsibility to respond to darkness, not God's. Not God's responsibility, right. You understand that? If you read it through, take your time. Don't don't fly through Genesis. Just verse 1, 2, and 3 of first chapters. Woo, amazing. So at that point, when God gave sovereignty to man over the earth, it was now their responsibility to respond to darkness, not God's. Very important to understand that. Guess what? It still is. God doesn't give like the world gives. When he gives, it's yours. He doesn't take it back if you make a mistake. He's not a manipulator. He doesn't pull strings like that. When he gives it to you, it's yours forever that's how he does things because he's love he's secure he's not trying to control you so they had this responsibility to respond to situations based on the word of God inside of them instead of the circumstances around them that's how we live They were to respond to uh, situations based on the voice of God to them, not the voices of the world around them. And that's how we operate. We respond. It's God's voice that moves us to do what we do, not the world's. I was talking to a friend last night. They were talking about how their family was putting pressure on them to do something. I said, don't listen to that. I said, what's the Lord put in your heart to do? He says, well, I have peace. You know, where, where I'm at. I said, you stay there. Don't let your family criticize you and try and pressure you. Don't let anyone try and pressure you to do something that's not in your heart to do. God doesn't operate that way. So we respond to His voice to us and in us, not the voices in the world around us. So by believing God's promises in our hearts... Our response to situations becomes a reaction to His promises, not to our circumstances. Like a, yeah. So by believing God's Word in our hearts, meditating on it daily, and at night too. <laughs> something changes inside of us. Now, our response to situations is a reaction to the promises of God inside of us. Not the circumstances around us. Yeah. Uh, brother Joe Morris, at the conference we're at, was talking about how his mom. I think maybe I already shared this. Did I share you about his mom being so afraid? Uh, she, no. Okay, let me share this with you. This is great. Uh, Joe Morris, excellent uh, man of God, was sharing how when he grew up, he was a kid. His mom was so fearful. She would put three life jackets on them if they went in the water. (laughs) He's like, what's three? She said, in case one comes off, you'll have another one. You know, just terrified that something was going to happen to her kids. And then she started reading the Bible. And she started hearing good messages like you're hearing. And this confidence began to grow inside of her. And she got to the point where she started receiving healing in her life and just became a whole new person to the point when he was a young man riding a motorcycle and he got in an accident and, and, and he tore, his knee just tore up, came open, and, and he may, somehow made it back to the house and he came in the house bleeding, his knees open, and, and his mom said, don't bleed on the carpet, go in the kitchen. <laughs> so she went from terror to get over there, don't bleed on my rug, Right? And, and, and so they're looking at him, and, he's, and she says, you're healed in the name of Jesus. And he's like, Mom, you know. And uh, so by that evening, it had, it had swollen so big. Well, actually, they, I think they went to the hospital. His dad was not a believer. Just his mom at that point was the only believer in the family, if I remember the story, right? And uh, they took him to the hospital, and the doctor said it was just so swollen. They couldn't see anything. They wanted to wait until they were going to drain his knee the next day or, or something. They were waiting for something to happen so they could get a better picture. Went back home. And uh, he said that they had to cut his pants off that night. It had gotten so big. And uh, his mom said, I don't care. You're healed. You are healed. You are healed. And uh, her, her husband thought, you know, this woman's crazy. And he's just looking at her. Next morning, it was completely normal. So they went back into the hospital. And the doctor said, "Why? what did you do? Did you drain his knee? And his dad went with him. His mom wasn't there. And he said, no, it's my wife. She believe in God for healing or something like that, you know. And so it it entered a whole new way of living. It, It opened up a whole new door just by filling her heart with the promises of God. Okay? Filling our heart with the promises of God. And I could tell you testimony after testimony from my own life of the things we've seen not only with me personally and with Jennifer, with our kids, supernatural wholeness that we've experienced, protection, healing by standing on his promises, regardless of what it looked like. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the father's dream was broken when, when Adam res- did, failed to respond to Satan with the word of God. That's where, kind of where we left off. So we know that it probably wasn't very long after God spoke to Adam and Eve that Satan came in to steal that word. And we know that because Jesus teaches us about the nature of Satan. He says when the word of God is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal that word. Because right? he doesn't want you to be free. He doesn't want you to grow in the reality of who Christ is, of what he's done for you, and who you are in Christ. Okay, so he comes to, without fail. Anytime you hear an inspiring message on Christ, be aware the enemy's going to try and steal that from you. And he'll do it by thoughts. It's a primary, or, or sometimes he'll use other people come along and say, blah, 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 blah. And you'll say, hmm, well, I think they're kind of making sense. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that life that was imparted to you, now you're questioning it. And, and you're going backwards instead of forwards. There's a lot of, larger, there's a lot of logical uh, arguments as to why you can't be healed. Why God didn't provide healing for you. Why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for you. Why p- prosperity doesn't belong to you. There are a lot of logical arguments, but they're all faulty. Right. Amen. Let, it, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. Hallelujah. So Satan comes, he steals this word, and the error that Adam made was being silent. Instead of speaking the word of God to the darkness, he remained silent, and Satan stole the sovereignty that God gave to Adam. Let's look at that Romans 5.17 again. How are we doing? We still awake? Yay. We gotta get we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get through this. This is good. So Romans five seventeen in the Weymouth translation tells us what, what Satan did. It says, For if through the transgression of Adam That's who the one is right there. Death, Satan, because death is an enemy to God, right? It's not a part of his plan. He has nothing to do with it. Death made use of the one individual, Adam, to seize the sovereignty. Well, certainly he didn't take God's sovereignty, right? No one could ever take that. What sovereignty did he take? The sovereignty God gave to man. Man's sovereignty over the earth, okay? God's sovereignty is never in danger. Because people would hear what I'm saying right now and maybe get upset. Are you saying God is unsovereign? No. God's sovereignty, is his throne is never challenged. Who he is is never. (laughs) He's God. He always will be. But he gave sovereignty to man and Satan stole that. This is huge. This explains why we're in the mess that we're in on planet Earth. Okay? At that point, everything changed in, in, in the Earth. That's when uh, some scientists believe the earth shifted on its axis at that point. That storms came into the earth, thorns, diseases, uh, crime, hatred, murder, wars, all those things happened, uh, began, or or the door was open for those things at this moment. But as soon as that happened, God spoke and prophesied of a deliverer. Genesis 3.15, let's look at that. Soon as it happened... God said, "I'll put enmity between He's talking to Satan, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed." Satan has seed. Isn't that something? People in the earth that are obeying him. Did you know that? And her seed, this is the woman he's talking to, and it shall bruise your head and, and, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a prophecy of Jesus Christ. If you study it out, he's speaking of the Messiah coming through the Virgin Mary. All right? Now, here's what we want to get to. This was the second time that destruction came upon the earth when Adam fell. The first time we saw between verse 1 and 2 of Genesis, God restored the earth. Now, this is the second time, but this time it's very different. The first time man wasn't on the earth and God could speak directly into the earth and everything had to obey. Now it's a whole different scene. He's given man authority over the earth and he can't just speak directly into the earth anymore. You telling me there are things God cannot do, yes. The Bible tells us so. God was now limited in what he can do in the earth. The first time, light be. And darkness receded. Animals bursting forth. Paradise. Couldn't do that anymore. Very important to understand that. Because now man, even though he was fallen, had the sovereignty of the earth. Now Satan has it. So what God had to do, because man was still made in his image, he had to get the word of God into man He needed men and women who would believe the Word of God and speak it into the earth. That is the role of the prophets. That's what prophets were for. He needed man now. He couldn't do it himself. He needed men and women who would hear His Word, believe His Word, and release it into the earth. And boy, if you read through the Old Testament, it wasn't easy to find them. A lot of people rejecting God, His own people, complaining, complaining. listening to the other voices around them, he was looking for people who had a heart after him. That's what he said of David, right? Right? He's been a man after my own heart. Doesn't mean he did everything perfect, especially in his early life he had this heart after God, right? Because God needed people to be a vessel that he could bring Christ into the earth through. The only solution for the world at this point had to be the Messiah. But it had to come through man now. So that's why Jesus, it's like, why didn't God just put Jesus in the garden after the fall? He couldn't. He had to come through man. And he needed men and women that knew him and believed in him and spoke his word into the earth. That's why it took about 4,000 years for Christ to come into the earth. All right? It is. You think about it, This is huge. God needed his son to be wrapped in flesh. That's not like an easy little thing you do on your lunch break, you know? <laughs> I can't think of any, any more power than that for the, the perfect son of God, the Alpha and Omega, to lay down his glory and be wrapped in human flesh through a womb of a, womb of a virgin. Wow. A womb of a virgin. <laughs> I will really we under <understand> now. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So this system that God set up, even God had to abide by it. Man was in charge now, and Satan had stole that, right? So God had this system in the earth that he had to abide by. That system was this. His word must be believed in the heart of man and spoken with the mouth of man. That was the only way for things to get done. So now when you read the prophets, you'll see how important they were now. They were those ones who were believing it and speaking it, right? so that Jesus could come into the earth. So let's look, uh, well, let's look at some scriptures that talk about this. Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. The father's dream is now being restored. He prophesied his son would come into the earth, and boy, we don't have time to even come close. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. Word of God spoken into the earth that made the way, that prepared the way for Jesus to enter if those words were not spoken, Jesus couldn't have come. This is, God set this up for, to work together with man. If the prophets didn't prophesy, Jesus could not have come. I'd be sad because Christmas time is like my favorite time of the year, right? I mean, seriously. How huge is this? Wow, so God, he wants to get his son into the earth, but he had to come as a man because man was responsible, right? And the first man blew it, right? So the second man, Jesus, had to come and fix it. First Corinthians 15, 45, speaking of this restoration, this plan of God, the Father's dream, uh, the, the Father's plan to restore his dream, says the first man, as it is written, right? The words have been spoken into the earth. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, who's that? Oh, Jesus. Jesus, right? The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Let's look, uh, go to verse 21, same chapter. Verse 21. For since by who? Man came death, by man also, that's Jesus. So by Adam came death, by Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, next verse, all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This was huge. Satan didn't figure out this plan. He didn't understand what God was doing, or he never would have crucified Jesus. So let's read a summary of the Father's dream being restored in Romans 5. Then if we have time, we'll go into some Old Testament prophecy. Romans 5, verse 12. Here's a summary of everything we've talked about in these last couple messages. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, And thus death spread to all men, includes you and me, right? Because all sin, we've all blown it. Don't be too hard on Adam, right? For until the law, the sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. How much time was that from Adam to Moses? Any idea? It's almost, uh, uh, let's see, about 2,500 years. Close to it, not quite. Okay? So how, how long has man been on earth from Adam to now? About 6,000 years. All right. Prior to that, we don't know. But from Adam, we know. we got a genealogy of 6,000 years. Do you know that out of those 6,000 years, only about 1,400, not quite 1,500 of those years were with the law? So don't think the Old Testament is all law. It didn't come till Moses and Mount Sinai. And it came because of the way that God's people demanded it. And they said, you know, basically the way they were behaving. They needed it. Okay. But God doesn't, he's not a law God. Although he is righteous and holy and just. But he operates through relationship and love. Okay. Yeah, he is a good father. So, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of Jesus who was to come. You seeing that? But the free gift is not like the offense. Thank God. For if by Adam's offense... I'm just putting Adam's name in there to help you. You see that? That's who the one man... It goes back and forth between Adam and Jesus here. All right, that's why I'm putting his name in there. For if by Adam's offense many died, you and me, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of Jesus... There it says it there, Jesus Christ abounded to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Hallelujah. It's infinitely more powerful. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Only God could do this. Verse 17, See, when the judge is for you, you're all set. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you've got a crooked judge, you're sunk. Yeah. But when he loves you yeah. and he wants you to win, man, go ahead, drop the hammer, baby. Yeah. Not guilty. Yeah, He's for you, see? Verse 17, is that where we ended? For if by the one man's offense, if by Adam's offense, death reigned or seized the sovereignty through Adam... Much more. So what's greater, grace or sin? Grace. 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 Much more. Those who receive. So what do we talk about more, grace or sin? People should hear grace when they come to church. For centuries they've heard sin, sin, sin. And as a result, they, they don't enjoy the freedom from sin that Christ provided for them much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign. That's a powerful word. That's a sovereign word. A king is sovereign, right? In other words, his grace puts us back into the original position that Adam had. Will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even... So, through one man, Jesus' righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Wow, is that powerful, huh? Yes, yes, yes. All right, we've got a few more minutes here, maybe five, ten more minutes. Let's look at some of these Old Testament scriptures and, uh, and the New Testament connections the prophecies of Jesus, God getting his word into the earth so Jesus could come, all right? We won't read all these. I'll just give you the references, then we'll read some New Testament. Uh, You'll find with these Old Testament prophecies, there are New Testament scriptures that are connected to them. For example, we read Genesis 3.15, right? That the Messiah is coming through the seed of the woman. Look at Galatians 4. 4. But when the fullness of time was come, it took time for this word to get into the earth. Isn't that amazing? Wow, when the fullness of time was come, when enough word was believed and spoken in the earth. What did John the Baptist say? I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, right? He was, and Jesus said he was the prophet of all prophets, right? So the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman. Wow, made under the law. That's awesome. Another one, Genesis twelve three said that Jesus was going to be the, the, the descendant of Abraham, that through Abraham's descendant, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Acts chapter 3, let's go there. So fun. I love, I love looking to find Jesus in the Old Testament. It's Very powerful. Verse 24 says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken, release the word of God into the earth. Yeah have likewise foretold of these days. They spoke these days into existence. Wow. That's what Jesus taught us in Mark 11, right? If you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand the power in our words and to speak accordingly in our daily lives. In Jesus' name. Verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets, and yea are the children of the prophets, excuse me, ye are the children, you are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. This was uh, like 400 some years before the law, okay, Abraham was not under the law, the law was not given yet. There were no Ten Commandments at this point. Do you know that? Under you, for he was—that's why he's the father of our faith, not the father of the Ten Commandments, right? Under you, first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Man, that's powerful. Let's see. We get one more in here. Okay, we'll look at. Well, let's look at one. Yeah, then we'll end with this. Uh, Go to Numbers twenty-one. And before we get there, I'll just sh- I'll share one as you're turning there. I'll share another one with you. In Exodus 12, um, yeah, I think it's Exodus 12, verses 1 through 51, uh, it describes the Passover lamb. And, and when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the lamb of God. So the Passover lamb was the lamb that God instructed them to eat. And when they ate that Passover lamb, their bodies were healed of hundreds of years of bondage. They, they received prosperous bounty from the nation that held them captive. They became healthy and wealthy in one night through partaking of the Passover lamb. And Jesus, John declared, is that Passover lamb in John 129. Okay, let's get to this one, then we're done. This is so powerful. Are you ready? Shake yourself up a little bit. I don't want you to miss this one, okay? This is going to change you for the rest of your life. So make sure your religious goggles are off. Right? The, the earbuds are out, okay? Numbers 21, verse 9. Another uh, type or prophetic uh, example of Jesus. Now at this point in time, again, God's people have become so hard-hearted. We're just rebelling against the, the prophets God brought into their life and against God. And as a result, they opened the door for Satan to, to bring poisonous snakes into the camp. And they are dying, being bit by these snakes. So there was physical, material, touch, tangible poison that was going into their physical bodies. Okay, this is not a metaphor. They were physically dying because physical snakes were releasing physical venom into their physical bodies. I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. You'll see why. This was a physical issue. And the Lord said to Moses, "Don't go to verse 8 or 9? I'm sorry, I'm going to read verse 8. Make a fiery serpent. And set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So they had poison in their bodies and they were physically dying. God's answer was to make a fiery serpent on a pole of bronze. And then the bronze is symbolic of judgment in the the Old Testament. That then when they would look at it, they would live. Verse 9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent, a serpent that took the people's judgment and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, when he looked at the judgment taken for him on that pole, he lived. When he realized that, that God's judgment was put on that serpent instead of him, he lived. Let's read it out of the Amplified. Then we're going to bring it home with Jesus. And Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and if a serpent had bitten any man wasn't, didn't Satan come as a serpent? Right? Had bitten any man when he looked at the, to the serpent of bronze and here's the key. Attentively what, what do you mean expectantly? What were they expecting? To be healed. Physically? Yes. I emphasize physically because people say, "Well, yeah, he's healed us spiritually, but we have to wait to get to heaven to be healed physically." That's a bunch of garbage. Amen. Jesus didn't teach that. That's right. It's a reality now. Amen. We need healing now. You're not going to need healing in heaven. And if a serpent had bitten any man when he when he looked at that bronze serpent attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, he lived. Now let's look at Jesus. John chapter 3. Attentively, how do you look at Jesus? Do you expect wholeness when you're spending time with Him? Do you expect to go to bed tonight and sleep perfectly? Do you expect to wake up with strength in your body and to go through your day with all kinds of energy left over? You've got to, this is, it's called faith. Expecting it to be so why because he bore my judgment jesus not me jesus not a, a theological school jesus said in verse 14 and as moses lifted up the serpent we just read it what was the problem they were physically dying from physical poison because the physical snakes bit them lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so, in the same way, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is tying John three sixteen to physical healing. And religion says that he came so you could get to heaven. No. He came so that you could be washed clean and made new and made whole. And if you know him, you'll get to heaven. Don't worry about that. This is how the serpent operates. He wants you to put everything that God did for you off to some distant time in the future. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Come on, Martha and Mary. We're not talking about someday. I'm talking about now wholeness, now strength, now life. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever, there it is again, whoever two syllables believes in him should not be sick but be healthy. So Jesus is talking about. I know religion has robbed so many of this simple truth that whoever looks at him expectantly with a steady absorbing gaze and realizes that God's judgment was put on him, he will be made whole. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that like a good father? You're concerned about the health of your children. That's top priority to you. If there's anything you can do to to ensure they have health, you're going to do it. Boy, how Satan has created this picture of God that's so unreal. That's so not involved in your life. That's so unconcerned with you. My goodness, if if the cold is bothering you, God is concerned about it. And he wants you free from it now. There should be no cold and flu season for God's people. Hallelujah. Don't expect that. Boy, it's amazing, you put on the TV, you're watching a football game, and the commercials and things come on, and and they talk like, you've got this. They don't even know who they're talking to. It's, you have this and you need this. So talk to your doctor about it. What? What is that? That's faith. Faith in sickness. That's what that is. That's faith in their product. Right? Faith in their business plan. But we don't have that faith in that. We have faith in in the, the bronze serpent that bore our judgment. Jesus, yes. Yes. that whoever believes in Him should not perish but everlastingly. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge the world. This is our promise of the month, by the way. Verse for November. This is our promise of the month. John three seventeen. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to make sick, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound. You want to know the definition of the word sound? Free from defect, decay, or damage. Untroubled, undisturbed well-being. God judged His Son. Put the judgment of the world on His Son so that we can have untroubled, undisturbed well-being. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you. Lord, we fix our attention on you and we're going to stare at you for the rest of our lives. We're fixing our heart on you, our peepers on you. You are our loving Father and you gave your Son. And we expect health for the rest of our lives because you love us. We refuse to listen to the serpent. We refuse to listen to religion. We look to Jesus. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes stayed on you, to keep our thoughts and our minds stayed on you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you declare declaring that those who keep their minds stayed on you, you keep completely whole. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.